Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The idea is whatever is happening in your life, wherever you are, the job you lost, whatever is happening is the perfect tool, the perfect resistance, the perfect training environment. That is the practice of pursuing an enlightened state. She has an aversion to labels, yet she is one whose name translates to hope. She's a musician and a professor, and someone who's always forging her individuality. But at the same time, she longs to be part of a community that can support democratic practices, like cultivating food and sharing resources, land and water. How do you do all of that? And what kind of energy do you need? What do you think about? What books do you read? Where do you garner inspiration? What kind of human does all of this make you? Why not just go crazy? We run up to the edge of many things during our time together, but not before we give thanks and praise. We've been trying for such a long time to meet, and finally it happens, not in our time, but when it was time. I'm Helga Davis, and here we are with Esperanza Spaulding. So I received two gifts this this Christmas. One was one of these weighted blankets. Yeah. It weighs 15 pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I put myself under it every night. Yeah. And I feel like like somebody's hugging me. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's even older than that, mm. where your mama or your whoever mm. is holding you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you can't really move mm-hmm. because it's heavy. Fifteen pounds. That's not a joke. <laughs> yeah. And I'm working with it because I'm not sure how I feel. I don't know if mm. I feel smothered by it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or that I don't have enough independence mm-hmm, in it mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of my limbs, but. I'm in it, and I'm going to try it. Yeah. Okay. And so one of the first pages of this book is about organizing the nervous system. And it says, this increased order in their nervous systems helps them get very clear about a future they can create. Mm -hmm. And they are able to hold that intention Mm -hmm. independent of the conditions in their external environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this feels like mm-hmm. a very, very important thing to me. Yes. So it's by a person called Dr. Joe Dispenza, and it's called Becoming Supernatural. So I'm thinking about that also as it pertains to the question of, of what we do next. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we have the dreams. I know that we have the dreams. So They've say been more coming. about that. Well, it's, it's not fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's imagining what would it actually look like. Okay, what does it look like to live with a community of people I get along with and don't necessarily get along with, where we're not using water to wash away our feces, and mm-hmm. we are able to cultivate what we need to eat and nourish our bodies and able to do it in a way that's just that our labor is evenly distributed, and we still have time for culture and for education oh, wow. and sustain our sustainable systems of energy production within the 
territory, quote unquote, that we live. I keep coming back to this invitation from the author whose name is escaping me. He wrote a book called The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight Mm -hmm. to imagine what your life would look like if you only had available the amount of energy that fell from the sun in a year. Mm. Just as that practice of sustainability. And I think at this point, we have the technology, and we have the heart visioning, too. Mm. It's like, what could that actually feel like? How would I need to stretch? How would we need to stretch toward these other to hold that energy culturally at, at every scale of culture, culture in the family, culture with self, culture in the home, culture in the compound, culture in the city. Um, and so much of it has to be speculative because we, many of us have not lived that yet. Right, right. Um, but I, I feel like I can dream that. I can dream that living environment. It's not about a utopian living environment. It's actually about dreaming what the stretch and exercise is in my heart, in, the, in my guts, that allow me to stretch into that capacity. Hmm. And to me, it's energetic. Like, to me, it's, um, it's a sensation in the body of, of, a, of a, an openness and um, capacity to take in more impressions and receive more variation of impressions of ways of being. Hmm. Hmm. Kind of to what he just said, without feeling like it's compromising my sense of center. Because it's not, but... It's actually bringing you closer, in a way. Ooh, right? Talk about to that. Your, to your sense mm. of center. Mm. Um, through contrast? Yeah, through mm. contrast. And, and so that you have... You have a place of origin. Mm. Whoa. See, now that word, that word, oh, that word. I think about that word and that idea a lot as somebody who I don't identify with like a externally affirmed origin. Okay. I don't identify with having like a quote-unquote cultural origin. Mm-hmm. I know I'm from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> but beyond that, um, and I also think about the word originality mm-hmm. and the difference between originality, meaning that you're growing from a place of origin that you can identify and that others can identify, versus this idea that what you're making is novel, that it didn't, that it doesn't have an origin, that it's somehow completely innovative and from fill in the blank, no one can tell, and it's new, and you have to get it because it hasn't been seen before. And I, at this particular moment in time, am really interested about straddling those two dimensions of originality, of almost like retro-designing what my origin is, Mm -hmm. and just saying, like, okay, this is my new, this is my myth. I'm going to ground it in what I choose to ground it in, research that, build that, and set that up as a point of originality from here, building forward. Um, I think we have permission to do that. I agree with you, and I do think that that's what origin is. It's Mm. your story. Mm. And that's why I think it's so important what you do with your mind Mm. and what you focus your mind on and where Mm. you focus your energy and your your attention Mm. so that... Your origin story Mm. is one that is productive and wholesome for you, Mm. for your way, for your path, for Mm. your ideas, for for your life. Mm. I love that. 
I love the wall. And moment to moment, we're building new origins, right? I mean, t- yes, t- today is the origin of tomorrow. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, at my level of uh, psychic development, that's, that's my present practice hmm. of really trying to hold awareness, not even hold, just um, be tuned to an, an awareness of what energy am I building and generating by my, by my thoughts and sense of self. I've just been thinking about, all right, you know, what's the next thing I need to study uh, to deepen into the practice of music becoming like a, an ampli- uh, a fortified tool, an empowered tool, an enhanced tool of, me- of healing technology. And I was thinking, okay, well, you know, I can't read everything all at once. It's going to take time for me to ingest this information and metabolize it. But I know that we're all emitting frequency and vibration just by being energetic beings. And I'm like, okay, so what would that mean to just start focusing on emitting a healing vibration? Like, what does that do to the body? What does that do to my emotional state? What does that do to my capacity for eye contact, etc.? That's kind of a vague, abstract concept, like a healing vibration. But just as a starting point, almost like a meditation practice on the train, what changes if I set my intention from the instrument of my body itself to be resonating with healing frequency? Then we have to get into the definition of what, quote, unquote, healing is. <laughs> because it's not about like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do for you what I think you need. It's and even that, even that inquiry of, well, what do we really mean when we say healing? Healing what? Via what? Um. Well, I think about the, the Buddhists also who ask us to make the choice uh, between being poison and being medicine. Oh, uh-huh. So I had a very similar experience this morning on the subway. <laughs> I got in. And, you know, yesterday there was some huge water main break, so everything was a mess all day. Hmm. And when I got in the car, you know, I, I always try to, to, to do the equitable thing. Yeah. I get in. I take off my backpack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I move to the center of the car. Mm. Um, I don't have a phone out, so no one is navigating around mm my device, Mm. I think that I am being considerate of everyone. Mm. Mm. And there are people who, they don't give a about any of that. They're Mm. they're doing what they're doing, and they're Mm. going going from place to place. It's it's kind of a a transactional, Mm -hmm. transitional Mm -hmm. uh, exercise. Mm. And I looked up, and this woman smiled at me. Mm -hmm. That's all she did. It was an, a simple and elegant mm. gesture. Mm. And I smiled back, and then I turned my head from her because I started to cry. Mm. And I didn't realize in that moment that I actually needed that person to smile mm. at me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what for. Mm. I don't know to heal what. Mm-hmm. I don't know to amplify what, mm-hmm. to... I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. but there it was. And so I had this experience, mm-hmm. and when I turned back, 
I wanted to say thank you to her, and she was gone. Mm-hmm. That that then it became about letting go of all of the things, the other things that I think mm-hmm. I need to do to recognize mm-hmm. also this person mm-hmm. and the effort she made. Like blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and to let all of that go, mm-hmm. receive the gesture, mm-hmm. and then be back mm-hmm. on my way. Mm-hmm. Receive the gesture. That that is the that's the act of gratitude. Fully receiving what a moment is offering us, for sure. Is there a religious component or practice that's part of your way of thinking hmm. now and your your uh, way of thinking about your expanding and hmm. and how you are moving on the planet in this moment? Um, religious religion. Just been reading about mythology mm-hmm. and the difference between our definition, I mean, just kind of loose collective definition of religion now versus in earlier times, let's say a thousand years ago, 500 years ago. So then it was what? Well, this writer is quoting Joseph Campbell, making a case that religion historically, which is a word that I'm now feeling means absolutely nothing. Anyways, <laughs> before uh, the last 100 to 200 years, um, religion is a word that described uh, a group of rituals, so a set of rituals around an I- a belief system. But religion was grounded in the ritual, how you act in response to that belief. Or compared to now... Religion being more about belief, Mm -hmm. that what you believe in defines your religiosity or your religious compass. Um, So I have space to believe many, 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 many explanations Mm -hmm. of our experience. Of the things that I've read, I would say I've read the most about Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And I really, really appreciate a philosophy. I really, 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 really appreciate that the figures that have come through that lineage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also protect my doubt. Yeah. Like, I'm a steward of doubt. I really appreciate that. You know, (laughs) I like the space that's made available with that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that doubt actually compromises faith. I think they go together. I agree. Um, so I I have a lot of faith in discovering patterns and discovering tools that allow me to be more available as a, a loving person and also more available to witness the patterns and the cause of a, an effect of my behavior and the shifts in my intention and shifts in my receptivity mm-hmm. um, to, I guess, what we could call benevolent energies, be they human beings or non-human entities mm-hmm. or laws of nature. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what you call it. I'm curious. And how does that manifest itself in your music? Mm-hmm. Well, how? hmm Honestly, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I think that 
first and foremost, m the music we make is an expression of who we are. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I can't explain how I am who I am. I will say that in the last batch of music, the spells, 12 Little Spells, mm -hmm. I was borrowing some tools from Reiki and some tools from a book called Psychomagic, which is written by Alejandro Jodorowsky, where he, he has titled this practice of his, this healing practice called Psychomagic, which is a way of designing actions, actually designing sort of ceremony ritual to recalibrate the subconscious and your relationship at a deep spiritual level to a historical event or an issue in your present or your past. Um, so I, I borrowed those with intention for 12 Little Spells. Um, and then there are a lot of elements in 12 Little Spells that I pulled in intuitively because that's what all artists are doing mm -hmm. to a certain degree. You're using yourself as a laboratory. Absolutely. Going, okay, the intention of this song is to generate this effect or this feeling. Do I feel that? <laughs> okay. So it's at least that's one foot forward in the path of how to effectively design this thing for its intended purpose. Um, moving forward, though, I feel like it is now time for me to mm, start a relationship with the scientific. Oh. A relationship. Mm -hmm. Just a relationship. I don't know exactly what that relationship will look like, but I will show up for it, and I'll love it. I'll love my allies, and I'll love my colleagues, and I'll love the the insights and the tools and technologies that come from that mode of inquiry, because I because we because they're here. It's like why wouldn't you use an amp for your bass if you wanted to play for a thousand people in a room? Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, what about you? How does this fold into inform your performance, mm. your creation process? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Becoming supernatural. I, like you, I, I know that I do a thing and feel that part of my responsibility is to, uh, to have compassion for the thing that I call Helga, to be out of the way of whatever it is I'm given to communicate. Mm. To an audience. Mm. Craig Harris said to me, the trombonist, mm. said to me, you know, HD, you got to think more like jazz, because in jazz you hear everything, but mm. you still play your part. And it is this, this ability to be with everything, mm. everything, mm. in a moment, and then serve the song, mm. serve the monologue, mm. serve the adventure mm. of asking the question, what is, what is this song to me mm -hmm. today, here, now? Mm -hmm. I want to weave into, or weave next to what you just wove mm -hmm. and just reiterate for anybody listening the importance of a technical practice. Like, that is the—talking about a relationship. Like, that is the infrastructure. That is the body. That is the diet. That is the food that 
empowers and enables that kind of presence in performance. Mm. So, What do you mean by technical practice? I mean, making a commitment, having a committed practice to the, the building up of, of facility, whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because that, that piece of, that Craig Karras mentioned that we hear everything and play our part, part of the ask of quote-unquote jazz, part of the ask of all, really all music, really all performance, all art, all modes of being, is that you can show up able to offer in response to what's happening in real time. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll find myself or you'll find yourself or a musician will find themselves in a situation where you know they haven't yet developed a technical facility to be able to you know deliver what they're hearing that they'd uh-huh. like to get that there's that it's your part but at least having a committed technical practice and by technical practice i mean like a dancer having stamina or mm-hmm. a singer being able to you know, move freely from your chest voice to your head voice, whatever. Or any person being able to make any decision. That's it. That's any it. person. That's it. To have to have a, a practice where you... It's almost like the sake of practice is, A, so you have the confidence, really, to know that your system can contribute um, fully and freely, that there, you have more access, you have more to play with and to work with. Knowing, of course, that you don't have to use everything you practice. Right. But I, <laughs> I have, um, I had an experience over the sort of winter passing. I actually was on winter solstice um, with a friend. We we're both very, very talkative, and you know, he's in, supremely intelligent and does incredible work around um, installation with ancestral objects. He makes ritual spaces for us to enter and reckon with objects through his design and mm-hmm. activation with performance and sound, etc. Same as Victor Ewan Givens. And I suggested that we make a fire in the house to warm us. And we collected some wood, made this fire. And the lesson for me was, oh, I don't really know how to make fire. Mm-hmm. I don't really... I haven't actually studied the process of how to, which wood do you collect? Should it be seasoned wood? Should we have gone and gotten seasoned wood? So what ended up happening is through this like intuitive, you know, exercise, we made this fire that was about the warmth of a lighter, probably, <laughs> held up against the sole of your foot, and the house filled with, with smoke. smoke. I've been spending a lot of time blathering and extrapolating and speculating about and around this core idea of music and healing. And that lesson on winter solstice for me was make sure you're not just generating smoke and mm. a teeny little fire. Mm. To me, the invitation is really, if you want to make fire, study fire making. Right. Do that. Right. Don't just throw it together. Like, really do it. You can have the intuitive insight or inspiration of like, you know what we need? We need a fire in this house. So that, to me, that beautiful symbology and poetry of life was like awesome. It's just so good to finally be across right. from you. We had a lot of like, blah, 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 like pinballs in the machine yeah. at events. Like, yeah. And still 
I don't know how scheduling-wise, but it'll be fun and it will happen to explore the storytelling and sound with you. The opera that we were originally talking so, about has so taken. So let's let's okay. just let's do that. <laughs> All right, it's taken so many. So there's another word too, right? Opera. Opera. Whoa, which <laughs> means work. It just means labor. Mm-hmm. The labor of bringing multiple forms together into a space to make a common thing, to make a shared thing, and opera as a term loosely, obviously refers to a type of singing, an approach to singing, the mm-hmm. operatic voice. Talk about having technical training, mm-hmm. oh my God, for freedom. Um, and beyond that, what I'm discovering and what we're giving ourselves permission to be in conversation with is the definition that opera is everything goes and it's some combination of a theatrical staging and music in conversation with each other. But I think we're, I think there's way more space in opera. Um, and that there are a lot of people making space for that, too, okay. right, to happen. Yeah. How can I say this? You know, when you're in emergent processes that are, they're growing as you engage with them. Like the shape of what it is, the way that it works is revealing itself to us as we work it. Right, and as you do it. Yeah. (laughs) So right now, you know, I don't even know if the way that I'm working will yield fruit later. I don't don't even know yet because it's so exploratory. And I don't want to say experimental, but... Exploratory. Exploratory. Okay, well, we have these ingredients and these ingredients. Uh, What happens if we take a week and do X? Does Y happen or does Z happen? We think that or Z is going to happen. Ha- or does A happen? <laughs> or does nothing happen? Was that right. just a week of, you know, practicing commitment? And it didn't necessarily, we don't, we don't, we're not going to see the fruit of what that week was in the final thing. But the thing that is so exciting to me about this conversation is that um, it's also life practice. Oh. And so that a person who isn't a musician, who isn't an opera singer, who isn't a... Mm-hmm. who doesn't do that mm-hmm. can listen to this to this way mm. of working mm. and apply it mm. right where their feet are and i i will say let me get back to you <laughs> in about a year and report on what seemed most helpful hmm. because right now i don't i actually can't say if what I'm doing right this minute is is um, is useful or not. That is the nature of practicing. All of us will have spent many hours practicing something only to realize later that was that was not a very effective way to practice that. So there's like you're practicing practicing. That mm-hmm. counts also. I would like to share the best of from this practice, <laughs> okay. this batch well, of practicing. We have a date. Yeah. Um, essentially. There, there was surely a smoother way to approach making an opera, or not. Well, yeah, it's fun to um, be in conversation with composer friends, musician friends who have been in the practice of making opera, and hear them just describe it as this. They're like, it's difficult, it's labor, it's a marathon. But you basically just you a, and then you b, and then you c, and then you d, and then there you are at e. And I hear that and go like. 
damn, okay, hmm. that's a life goal. Can you say a little bit about the opera, what it's called, what it's about? Well, the title right now is The Working Iphigenia. Title. Yeah, Iphigenia. And we're, what I know for sure um, is this character has always been called into space, called into our minds, called into the stage, called into the movie by men. And she was written down and the the majority of classicists of scholars throughout history, Greek scholars, have been men. So she has been edited and forged and written and polished and presented through the lens of men's imagination. And I feel her as this entity who's been passed on for over, surely over 2,500 years. And she surely was a myth that was being passed on before she got written into a play by Euripides. Um, I feel like she's this sealed envelope that's never actually been opened. Mm. And I want her to show up and speak for herself and interrupt the inevitable outcome of this myth that she's essentially trapped in. And everyone sees themselves as trapped in. That's why they make the choices they make. Mm. But that's a farce. That's the myth within the myth. That's mm -hmm. the lie within the myth that we're cracking open. And what what about this is uh, is so personal for you? I don't know yet. Okay. I actually learn. I'll learn later by looking at it and going like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, my, is just, mm, my whole inner state is just on that stage. Um, so I, I can't see that yet. Mm -hmm. I can't speak to that yet. Mm -hmm. um, I'm learning about that by being in this process. And I want to borrow something that Toni Morrison said in that beautiful documentary that just came out, The Pieces of Me, I believe mm -hmm. it's called. Um, when she's talking with her writing students, she says, you know, everybody says, you should write what you know, write what you know. She said, but y'all don't know anything. So don't write what you know, it's going to be boring. Like, imagine, write, write about something that you don't know, write about something that you have only dreamed of and try to, try to put yourself in a completely different person's shoes and actually write from that place. So I'm also giving myself permission to be completely free and fantastical and that it mm. doesn't need to be rooted in like my personal deep connection because I feel deeply personally connected to everybody in the story. That's why these myths live how they do because right. they are, they are um, animating aspects of our subconscious, of our spirit, of our soul. So um, maybe, maybe there's something about... What do you do when you feel like you're trapped in an inevitable outcome? Mm. You know, what are your options at, at that point? And I, I I think I was supposed to come talk about my album, but this is all about the album. This is all about the, all of it, mm -hmm. <laughs> about making things. Yeah, it's about making things. <laughs> that have an effect and on reality, hopefully. Would you say that Emily is also an entity yeah. through which you realize stories, mm -hmm. myths, things mm -hmm. that need need to be said for you, mm -hmm. through you in this moment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Emily's D-plus evolution, she came and went. She was sort of like a wild child huh. that needed to, like, break open a 
passageway. She needed to break a hole in the wall that I didn't know I was stuck behind. And now that hole has been made and I'm still breaking bricks away to widen it and, you know, see what it is to live on either side of that mm-hmm. <laughs> existence. Um, I think that's part of the gift that actors know about, the power of role play, of giving yourself permission to fully explore an aspect of your humanity as someone else. Um, and as yourself. And as yourself, right, exactly, at the same time. Um, and that's, that is such a profound gift of role-playing mm-hmm. um, and playing. You know, just the word woven into that work that here's a space where you have permission to play. Play at what is it, it is to be a human. Just play at it. And nobody gets hurt because it's the theater, you mm-hmm. know, or it's make-believe. And I think it's in that that is a place where theater and music mm. um, are so important mm. because we give people permission to feel. Yeah. And to sit with feelings in a right. controlled environment. There's a certain trust, too, of like, okay, somebody's managing the space. I, I can go as deep as I need to into this sensation and I'll, and I'm held and it's safe. And, I'm, and there's just enough distance from it that I can reckon with it, you know. Mm-hmm. What right now can mm-hmm. you name as the specific practice okay. of making this work? Okay. Wayne Shorter wanted to write an opera. I heard him say he wanted to write an opera. And I thought, well, that just has to happen. How are we going to make that happen? Mm-hmm. So first, I talked with the first person I could grab who I knew was involved in grant writing. I was like, can you write a grant so that Wayne can write an opera? Then that brought me to the next person. I was like, well, you need a little bit more than a grant. If you want to make an opera, you're going to need a producing partner and you need presenters. And okay, so with that glorious entity, Ryan Scheinbein, this infrastructure was set up, Start started to get set up. Um, and then in the process of working with Wayne, I'm thinking, okay, so who does he need to write with him? You know, he's got to have this epic writer who's going to make this epic story to go with this epic music and tried, you know, tapping a few people. They didn't pan out. And he kept saying, you, I want you to write it. I want you there to write you it. Go. I want you to write it. And you, you, yeah. you, you, yeah. not yeah. someone else. Yeah, I know. Not and someone else. I've fought that tooth and nail. And there's that for yeah. a person also, right? Yeah. That you go, you're going to look for the person who does this job better yeah. or smarter or has, has more experience doing it. And you're going to go find them. And actually, life is going to say, no, you. It's hilarious. Okay. It's hilarious how it keeps coming back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many ways I've tried to get out of it, out of respect for the music, honestly, and out of respect for this mentor and superhero alien person who is the creator entity named Wayne Shorter. But I, and I, I want to offer this to anybody delving into new territory. Which I, is everyone. Everyone, okay. I did skip some steps of of due diligence, mm-hmm. of research, that now I'm recognizing as um, like a lost opportunity or a mm-hmm. misstep because um, I just dove in. Right. I was in the middle of a project called Emily's D Plus Evolution, which was about um, trying things, diving into things without knowing the rules. Through this five-year process of 
trying and carving and digging and scratching and leaping and roaming and writing way too much. I'm little by little gathering these pieces of best practices as just ideas and approaches that have proven to be more helpful through experience of people who've been through the process many, many, many times. So, so that's asking for help. Absolutely. And just checking out what's been done with the notes before, you know, mm-hmm. like there's only 12 notes, just peeping what's been done you and trusting that it's not going to compromise originality because there it is again, like investigating origin is actually the support structure for your originality. Um, the ality is your part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I gave myself a week at the suggestion of Jocelyn Clark, a beautiful dramaturg that I'm in conversation with, to go through everything, the 408 pages total, and honor the fact that that was written. So I'm going through with my red pen, and I'm looking for the yum in this. Um, there's sort of an oversaturation happening where there's so many ways to tell the story, and there's so much language, and so many characters, and there's so many frames sort of lost in the sauce. So this is really like the final filter week because I'm diving into this lab workshop slash course at Harvard. And I thought the most interesting thing that I could bring to the students would be the process of making this opera, Mm -hmm. of course. And the journey of moving from individualism to collectivism, the journey from being a solo artist to a collaborating artist. I didn't realize that was such a thing. It's a thing. But it's such a thing. What what has the thing been for you? Oh, terrifying. Because? Well, I'm used to getting inspiration, going away into my little hole, building it, and then coming back and saying, like, okay, cool, can you help me take it to the next level? Like, this is the demo, this is the song, this is the concept. Like, you do your part, you do your part, you do your part. Boink, here's my vision. Um... It's kind of like a benevolent tyrant, like a benevolent dictator. (laughs) We hope it's benevolent. Um, This is such an immense organism. Like, you can't move it by yourself. And I'm not necessarily the brain on this. I'm like the nose or the eyes. And so it requires a kind of receptivity to the wisdom and intention and um, design preferences, story preferences, any detail you can think of, of everyone who's involved in moving it and growing it. Um, And what it brings up is the ways that I'm not strong and not great and not masterful. And having to look at that and be with that in the company. Uh Uh-huh. Of your collaborators. Okay, and sometimes the company of people who you don't even have an intimate relationship with. And it's such an existential problem. It's just, for whatever reason, that still feels like death when you're in those spaces. Mm -hmm. Particularly because uh, whatever that muscle is, where you just are acclimated to the fact that it's not done and it'll get there and everybody sees it in its nebulous state and that's okay, that muscle can atrophy when all I've been doing is being in the front with these great, you know, great works that are my version of finished that I that am confident that I'm ready to, to present. I'm confident they're going to do more or less what I want them to do. And now it's like, I, we all 
10 of us need to get this up on its feet. And I know that it's not there and I don't even know how to get it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably um, theater folks will go like, uh, yeah, that's the gig. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, I've sort of been protected. I've been in a bubble, a mm. creation bubble that I didn't know I was in. Mm. And I'm so deeply grateful for this process I, f- on so many levels, mainly because this music that Wayne wrote is so incredible. And I think there's, I know that there is um, medicine in this myth, too. There's medicine in this story that wants to be popped open and shared. Um, and personally, I'm getting my butt whooped in the perfect way mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting expanded and it's just so incredibly challenging and so beautiful. But how is it that you manage to to stick with it? Oh. Because I think that's a challenge for people too oh. that we have this idea and we say we say we're going to go for it. Mm-hmm. And we do our work. Mm. And we get our butts kicked. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we say, okay, maybe this wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Or this isn't the way. This isn't the thing. This mm-hmm. isn't the person. This mm-hmm. isn't the job. Mm-hmm. This isn't the apartment, mm-hmm. the country, mm-hmm. the car. <laughs> what practices do you have that allow you in the midst of the doubt in the presence of your collaborators to just mm. keep saying yes. Hmm. Well, you, we already know what no does, right? I don't know what the results of the continued yes is yet. And the only way to find out is to keep going. And that's exciting mm. and exhausting and exciting. And it's also something like, well, as long as everybody else is down to keep going, how dare I say no? Hmm. Maybe this is where belief systems do inform our practice. So I was introduced to Nichiren Buddhism by Wayne. By Wayne. And there's this fundamental tenet in the Buddhism that we practice, that I've practiced and studied, that says enlightenment happens wherever you are. It happens here. It happens in the muck. That's why the Lotus Sutra is such a powerful title. Just that allegory or metaphor of the lotus blossoming out of the mud. The idea is whatever is happening in your life, wherever you are, that's easy to say for us who are safe, clothed, housed, and loved. I know it's really easy to say this, Um, And because it's so easy to say it, I try to practice it to the fullest since I know I have it relatively easy to practice this philosophy that whatever is happening in your life, whatever, your broken leg, your um, the job you lost, uh, the breakup, the victory, the amazing apartment, the leak in the apartment, whatever is happening is the perfect tool, the perfect resistance, the perfect training environment to generate the practice of of creating value, (laughs) that it's not even about getting what you desire. Mm. The the practice of 
working with whatever is happening and making the choice to create value out of that and to stand in that as the place where enlightenment is possible only, that is the practice of pursuing or attaining or being in a practice of an enlightened state. I want to be in the practice of going like, what happens when I don't run away and work with what's here and trust that the power of creativity and the power of trust in our human capacity to create value with whatever ingredients we're working with, like that is the secret alchemizing ingredient that makes anywhere you are on plant on planet Earth with whoever you're with hospitable. Um, because we can, because mm-hmm. that's what our lug- that's what my I'll say luxury and privilege is for, so that in these relatively easy circumstances I can practice that which feels like a hugely needed medicine. It's jazz. It's hearing everything Mm. and playing your part. Mm. And your part is to use what's there. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. And work with others. Work with great people. And work with others. And that's part of the... (laughs) I, I feel like I'm... This is all very, very, very personal, but... Um, part of my dance has been to open myself up to the greatness of others that's much greater than what I can bring at a moment in terms of uh, ability and experience and softening to being sometimes the weakest link in a in a situation meaning like wow all I can do right now is listen and learn and hold space and just be here with this, wanting it to move forward. And I might have to let go of these 300 pages that I wrote right. and say, like, okay, it's actually not serving the whole shape of this right now. So you, with your greatness, can you come in and lead? Mm-hmm. And that feels so basic, but um, it is a stretch. I can absolutely relate to this. So I've been working on a show with the director, Michael McQuilkin, mm. um, on the character of Cassandra. It's my middle name. Also very just interested yeah, in her. Yeah, super right? interesting. And so we worked some years ago, and I had a script. I had, I had everything. Mm-hmm. And we got an opportunity to workshop it again and to revisit, and I was so excited. Four years had passed, mm. and we got into the room, and we started reading— And I just smiled at him. (laughs) And I said, this is not where I am anymore. Mm. And there it was 24 pages, but it was 24 pages Mm -hmm. that I I Mm -hmm. lamented over and Mm -hmm. sweat over. Mm -hmm. And I let it go. And it was very interesting to me that the things he had me do had nothing to do with paper. Mm. So we changed the premise of the piece. Uh, so now Apollo is dead, hmm. and Cassandra has been asked to sing at his funeral. Mm. <laughs> and her conversation is with her unconscious. Mm. And her unconscious is saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> after what he did, after, mm. after, after, you're going to stand here and mm. sing? Mm. You're going to use that gift mm. to bring peace Mm. and harmony Mm. to your city Mm. 
and completely betray yourself? Mm. No. Mm. It's a totally different Mm -hmm. point of entry. But Mm. also, it was such a big lesson for me also in that moment to just take those pages and let them go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And something about the release is an exercise of trust because you're trusting that with what's actually happening now, we'll be able to build what we need. That you don't have to depend on things that aren't working anymore. You know? Or even what's past if it no longer serves you. Okay. Amen. Yeah, and that is the practice of transitioning to sustainable existence, mm. sustainable thriving. Uh, is really daring to let go of systems of thought and systems of convenience and systems that we're familiar with, consumption patterns, diet patterns, travel patterns, etc. that really worked and maybe like are really feel right now better and more comfortable and more stimulating and more fruitful and meaningful than the practices that we are new at, very new at, which are the practices, as far as we know, required to move towards a sustainable relationship with each other and with planet Earth, with our home base. Can you speak a little bit more about what your life looks like then in in that, with that framing? Yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. Hmm. I'm I'm... Asking that question daily. Okay. Um, Did you change where you live, how you live? Mm. Oh, <laughs> that's vid- that's my speculative fiction that will become reality. Okay. But in a way, I feel like <clears throat> wherever we are, we're already doing that. We're already in community. It may not look like your dream fantasy community, but we're, all of us are in community of some kind. So maybe part of the invitation is how do you activate that community so that it feels like we're more engaged in um, caring for each other, nurturing each other's dreams and needs. Um, Part of my vision about intentional community is actually uh, facilitating or leading or holding or purchasing a space where um, creators work together, can live together, if so desired, at least for a portion of the year, um, or sharing resource hmm. sh- and sharing insights and knowledge and creation space. Um, and that, that feels far. I mean, the, the you know, full manifestation of that feels far to me because part of what I learned in this opera project is you got to start hmm. slow. Work baby steps and learn each piece as you go. <laughs> um, so I know that that's going to be um, yeah, a process of learning with others who've, who've practiced some portion, mm-hmm. one portion of what that whole picture looks like. You know, it's not enough, but, you know, in one of my practices is just taking the train as much as possible when I have the option of right. driving or riding um just just that practice of also being in energetic conversation with other people as a practice yeah and and eating a vegetarian diet pra- as practice mm-hmm. i know that's not going to change the world 
but as a practice with intentionality. And then I don't want to make smoke before fire. I'm, I'm learning fire making. And I hope that the shape that the smoke takes will speak for itself. Yeah, I'm right at the precipice of um, a new journey of inquiry. And don't want to describe in too much detail what I think I'm going to see or mm -hmm. where I think I'm going to get. But I know that it requires research and humbling and, you know, staying in proximity with the people I know who are deeply in practices of building sustainable communities in in the practice of. Because it's not that because you start doing it, somehow the world magically changes. It's that, well, let's start practicing a way of being that we know is required to support these dreams that we have of sustainable cities and mm -hmm. sustainable nations, sustainable communities, sustainable families. Mm -hmm. Esperanza, they named you Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I do feel really, I feel like a hopeful person in general. And... Hope fizzles on its own, you know. Hope needs a rootedness in work and practice. It's such a big word in our conversation today, practice. Not big word, but, mm. but it's, it's an in, it insists. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We call it mm -hmm. by name. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's in addition to intention. It's in addition to hope. It's mm -hmm. in addition to everything, but it's, it's practice mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of something that Wayne said about the opera, about the project. He keeps saying that it's going to speak for itself. Mm. Let's not worry about that. Let's not worry about trying to explain or justify or plot out what it's going to be. It's going to stand on its own. It's going to speak for itself. And I, I love that as like the litmus test of a work. Is there anything else you want to share or uh, that you feel I haven't asked you? It's just... I feel like we sat down and we were all, we were in from the moment you walked in the door. <laughs> it's a good day. And good we saw. Day. <laughs> yes. I mean, probably I I did make a record. I did make an album. Mm -hmm. Well, I made some spells. Yeah. That are being delivered through the medium of an album, mm -hmm. and they're called Twelve Little Spells, and you can go listen to them and. It is, it's like kind of what Emily did. It's it's when you make a public announcement, I'm going to do something, and then you're accountable. You feel more accountable, mm. you know. So this is like stating the claim or making the announcement. Like we're exploring, we're exploring how music and performance can be yielded to administer healing technologies and be offered as a support mechanism to our growth and healing and um, collective, you know, support, soothing, et cetera. And it's more than just soothing, because it's not soothing so that you can, like, quiet down and go to sleep. It's so that we feel um, supported. Well, supported and well enough to stay in the work, <laughs> mm -hmm. stay in the game, mm -hmm. stay in the struggle, um, to the alchemizing of the struggle. Um, yeah. I can't wait to be in a 
another room with you. Yeah. Feel some sounds and some movements. Yeah. 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 And thank you for being with me in this one. Yeah. Thanks for uh, having a jam session from minute one. (laughs) At the door. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to do. At the door. Yeah. Big love. Love to you. Thank you. Thank you. And that was my conversation with Esperanza Spaulding. I'm Helga Davis. If you want more of these conversations, subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and share with a friend. You can also leave a comment. It really helps us out. Helga is produced by Crystal Hawes Dressler and myself. Our technical director, composer, and sound designer is Curtis McDonald. Lucas Crone Grimberger is our executive producer. Special thanks to WNYC's program director, Jacqueline Zincata, and Alex Ambrose. Be sure to visit us online at wnycstudios.org slash Helga.